Yeah, there's 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 definitely this sense of them missing each other um, pretty yes, frequently. That's great. Yes. Um, and and you, you you learn a lot about them in scenes apart from each other, and kind of desperately want them to connect. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back, everybody, to No Script, an unscripted conversation about theater's best scripts. I'm Jacob Mann Christensen. And I am Jackson Nikolai. Yes, welcome back, everyone. Here we are. We're going to be jumping into another new script this week, just as we do every week of a regular season. That is right. We are in the second episode of our new season now, so still early on. We're still in that pattern where early in the season we say things like, look at how diverse the scripts that we're doing are. They're so different week to week. Isn't it amazing? (laughs) Such a privilege. And that remains true no matter how many times we make fun of ourselves for saying it. The scripts that we talk about are just, it's, uh, it's, it's so fascinating to go week to week and experience them. In, in some ways, though, the difference between the script that we talked about for last week's episode and the script that we're talking about for this week's episode, there's, uh, there's not as much of a gap between those scripts as there sometimes are early in the season. Yeah, it's true. There's definitely some resonances, some, you know, similar levels of like suffering through and kind of pushing through adversity um, that that, that are in both of these Some commentaries about uh, like this sort of the deep flaws, the blank spaces, the 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 problematic realities that some of our country's most uh, fundamental institutions have in them. Yeah, yeah. So, so if, as you've already seen in the title, probably, if, as you've clicked on this podcast, uh, we are talking about Pipeline by Dominique Morisseau today. And this is a return to Dominique Morisseau for the podcast. I believe we've done two other of her plays in previous seasons, so I'm excited to get to kind of get back to Morisseau's work. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the other major similarities between the play that we talked about for last week's episode, Between Riverside and Crazy by Stephen Edegirgis, and today's episode on Pipeline by Dominique Morisseau is that... The, those two playwrights are two of America's cream of the crop playwrights right now. I mean, these are two of the voices that are defining what the American stage is, how it works, the messages that it's sending, the stories that it's telling you. Almost, I mean, there, there are lots of people doing that right now, but you almost could not pick two better examples of playwrights who are doing that for the American stage in this moment than Stephen Adley Girgis and Dominique Morisot. Yeah, definitely. On the back of my script for the, for for this play, it says if Dominique Morisseau wasn't already established as one of the most exciting theater voices that have emerged in this young century, Pipeline should surely confirm that status, and it does. <laughs> yes, I, I I was listening to an interview with some of the cast of the original production of Pipeline, and they said something very similar. The gal who plays Naya in this play, which we'll talk about, she was talking about you know if you don't know Dominique Morisseau, you might say she's a playwright on her way up, and and the actress said. Uh, Dominique Morisot is not a player on her way up. She's arrived. She's there. She is at the top of her game. She is influencing what we talk about. I mean, as uh, I have for the context section, I'll give it away now. Dominique Morisot was America's most or one of America's most produced playwright for a lot of those seasons in kind of the mid 2010s. I mean, she is a major influencer of what American theater is and what it does and the stories it tells. 
Yeah, well, I'm excited to get into the conversation and learn a little bit more about both Dominique Morisot and the play's context and also just kind of jump into our themes and stuff. But before that, I want to take a second and just thank all of our patrons over on patreon.com slash podcast. Thank you all so much for being patrons of the show. We love getting to do this show. We love getting to have these conversations. We love getting to talk to all of you out there in social media and podcast land. And none of those things would be possible without our patrons over at patreon.com slash no script podcast we are completely supported by them so thank you all so much if you're looking for a way to help out the show if you're enjoying the episodes if you're enjoying things like themed months and special guest episodes and people that we bring in for conversations around theater's best scripts and are looking for a way to help out the show patreon is a great way to do that there are a number of different tiers for as low as one dollar you can become a patron of the show and and we we just so appreciate those who who have gone over there and made that choice to support the no script community in that way so if you're looking for for a way to help out the show, patreon.com slash podcast. We will see you over there. Thank you to all of you who continue to make NoScript possible to do. And now back to the script. Here we go. Okay, Dominique Morisot, as Jackson said, been on the show twice before. Well, she's not been on the show. Boy, would that be awesome. But we have talked yeah. about Dominique Morisot plays uh, twice before. The first play that we talked about was Skeleton Crew, and we also talked about her play Detroit 67. Now, um, those two plays are part of a trilogy of plays that we that, that uh, Dominique Morisot has written called The Detroit Project Cycle. This is a, um, yeah, trilogy of plays about Detroit. Dominique Morisot grew up in Michigan, actually got her BFA at the University of Michigan, so very near and dear to her heart what's happened in Detroit. And so she wrote these three plays about it. We've talked about two. Detroit 67 was a special guest episode a couple of seasons back, and then Jackson and I had the discussion about Skeleton Crew. Those are great plays. We thought about finishing out the Detroit cycle, the Detroit Project, and, and doing that third play, but she's doing so much else besides that that we figured for her third appearance we would take a step towards one of her newer plays one of the things that she did in those mid 2010 periods it feels like a new play especially because covid kind of created that gap in theater and in the the new plays having these productions and getting their kind of full breath into the world we've talked about that on this show before so uh, Dominique Morisot received a 2018 MacArthur Genius Grant Award. Like I mentioned, she's one of America's most produced playwrights. Interestingly, uh, more recently, Dominique Morisot became the first black woman in American history to win a Tony for writing the book for a musical, best book for a musical. That's for the, music, the, the book for the musical about the temptations that she wrote, and she became the first black woman to win that award. It's Amazing, heartbreaking that that is still happening, <laughs> that those kinds of milestones still have to be reached in the American theater. It's uh, it's an indictment on the theater. At the same time, it's a celebration for Dominique Morisot. This play, Pipeline, is to some degree uh, sort of fermented from her experience with her mother. I think both of her parents were teachers, actually. But her mother, specifically, was the kind of teacher that Naya is in this play. Dominique Morisot would tell you that. In fact, she does in a really lovely kind of story that she shares in one of the trailers for the original Lincoln Theater Center, Lincoln Center Theater. I'm mixed up right now. But in one of the initial trailers 
for that. She shares a story about her mother teaching and there was a student who didn't have access to warm clothes and so they gave that student some of their clothes and then the student called Dominique Morceau's mother some names and it was a lesson for the young Dominique about what her mother did and how she handled that situation as a teacher who believed in kind of students as the whole person is sort of how Dominique phrases the her lesson from that in the video. You should watch it. It's amazing. Um, this show premiered at the Lincoln Center in 2017. That production was nominated for several Lucille Lorder Awards, which is like sort of like the Tonys for Off-Broadway, basically. Uh, nominated for some, won one in 2018. That production was filmed and can be watched, amazingly, if you have a subscription to Broadway HD. So check that out. At least watch the trailer just on the Broadway HD website. It's amazing to see what they did. The, the, the theater that they did it in was not the enormous proscenium. It was a much more intimate venue. Um, and you can sort of see how the actor playing Naya interacts with the audience as if they were her students. It's amazing. Of course, uh, Dominique Morceau, being one of America's most produced playwrights, this play, which is so spectacular, has had lots of productions. It's going to be one of those situations where we just can't name them all. Some of them, for example, the American Stage in Florida in 2019, the Penumbra Theater in the Twin Cities in 2019, the Studio Theater in D.C. in 2020, South Camden Theater in New Jersey in 2021, the Everyman Theater in England in 2021. Colleges and universities across the nation have done this show. There are so many many productions already slated for 2022 at the Sumter Theater in South Carolina, the Live Arts Theater in Virginia, the Black Theater Workshop in Canada, City College in New York City. So your opportunity to see this play is somewhat based on where you live, right? If there's a theater or a university near you that's going to do it. But it is a lot more widespread than some of the plays that we end up talking about, which are only going to be produced in New York City, Chicago, or L.A., you know? So this play is sweeping the nation. It's in universities. It's in small regional theaters. You have a shot to see it there if you'll pay attention and look around. And you have a shot to see the Broadway HD production if you can sign up for the free trial or or get a subscription, whatever works for you in your life. Yeah, yeah, the show itself is is is. Uh, I imagine houses are are kind of, you know, real looking forward to doing it, kind of itching to do it. There's a lot of great elements to it. Excited to get into the conversation. I'm going to give you just a short synopsis of of the play just to get us all started off on the same foot. Um, this play is uh, centered around a family. Um, uh, the family uh, is made up of Naya, as Jacob has already somewhat a little bit introduced in the context. Naya, Omari, and Xavier. Now, uh, Naya and and Xavier are both single parents. They are they are ex-husband and ex-wife. Um, and so much of the play focuses on Naya and Omari. Now, Naya is a black woman in her mid to late 30s. She's a single mother. She's a public high school teacher. And she's trying to raise Omari as best she can on her own while uh, also raising a bunch of other kids uh, through her, her job as a teacher. Omari is a black man in his late teens, smart and astute. I'm reading some of the character descriptions here. Um, and uh, rage without release. He... He has a lot of anger that he's working through. He's attending a private school at the start of the play. Um, 
the, the, the first scene of the play, uh, we get news that uh, that Omari has gotten into a fight of some sort at his school. He's gotten into some sort of physical altercation. Uh, we, uh, uh, Naya is calling Xavier and leaving a message. Uh, the first message that she leaves is a little bit desperate sounding. Um, she she uh, is kind of uh, admitting that she misses Xavier and, and kind of wanting his help in this. And uh, she deletes that message and leaves a much more straightforward one that Omari's in trouble we need your help. Call me back. The next scene, we meet Omari and uh, his girlfriend, Jasmine. And Jasmine is described in the script as a black or Latina woman, late teens, sensitive and tough, a sharp bite and a soft smile. And Jasmine is kind of helping Omari uh, work through the after effects of this physical altercation. We still know very little about the physical altercation at this point, um, but we learn a little bit more in this scene and enough that we learn that Omari is, is uh, tempted to run away somewhere. Um, he's He's going to go to the bus station or the train, try to get to somewhere else and and try to just run away from this, get away from this, because he thinks charges are going to be brought against him. Not just he won't just be reprimanded by this private school. He thinks that charges are coming down the line for him. Jasmine does the best that she can to talk him out of it, but uh, he he leaves um, uh, essentially saying goodbye. Um, we're, we're, we're breaking up um, and, and he's going to he's going to run off in this way. We then uh, meet some of Naya's co-workers. We meet Lori and Dunn. Um, Lori is described in the script as a white woman, 50s, a pistol of a woman, um, and teaches in the public high school uh, alongside of, of, of Naya. And in, in this scene, uh, we learn a little bit more about her co-workers, about the school. We learn that uh, we, we also meet Dunn, uh, who is described as a... Uh, Oh, I, I missed my page. Here we go. A black man, mid-early 30s, public high school security guard, fit and optimistic. Um, he, we, we learn a little bit more about these two. We also learn that Dunn and Naya have some sort of relationship. Either they went out, or they probably have slept together, um, that there's there's some nearness uh, between them. There's um, a but, lot but more it's... unsaid about what went on between them than, than there is said. We also learn, and this is a little later in the play, you know, some kind of very vague references to why Xavier and Naya ended up splitting up and getting their divorce. And it was, you know, sort of both recognized as being her fault. There's the implication that she cheated. There's some stage directions that make you feel like, oh, Dunn maybe was the person that Naya had the affair with. That is all unspoken. I think right. it's a very strong presumption to make about the characters. That would be what I would bring to the table as a script interpreter. But uh, it is it is more unspoken than spoken. Yeah, it's it's a lot of it's done in stage directions and and in uh you know body work and breaths taken in certain in certain moments. So yeah, it's all all very subtle. But we learn a lot about them. We learn a lot about the school and the environment that they're all in. Um, that there's a lot of carjackings. That that they're all kind of hanging on by a thread and pushing through. Um, I think this is the scene where Anaya says that you know I'm coming to the end of my end of the earth. I'm on <laughs> I'm on a flat earth and I'm coming to the edge of it here pretty soon. Um, so so there's 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 a lot of kind of learning about their world. The next scene we uh, is in Naya's classroom. She is uh, teaching uh, Gwendolyn Br Brooks' poem. Uh, we Real Cool is the name of that poem. That's a pretty important poem. I'm sure we'll spend some time talking about it once we actually get to the story. But she's uh, teaching on it, and Omari is kind of ethereally not in the classroom, but coming through the scene, speaking the poem, and it gets uh, her own teaching kind of gets to her. She has to step outside um, and kind of take a deep breath, reset. 
and uh, and then head back in after confront or Dunn Dunn confronts her a little bit about it, but she kind of heads back into the room very quickly. The next scene, Naya uh, has gone to the school, gotten in touch with Jasmine, um, and tried to learn a little bit more about where Omari went. She tells him uh, eventually after after a pretty pretty substantial scene between the two of them, where they negotiate um, who who is loving Omari in a in a more beneficial way. Whether it's it's more loving to uh, be be uh, supportive of him as he tries to to run off in this way or not, um, and uh, eventually. Uh, she gets the gets from Jasmine what she needs about his location. Which I know I'm sort of jumping ahead into the analysis, but I, there's so much to talk about with a play like this. I don't know if the specific scene by scene sort of analysis is is going to be something that we have the time for. So I just want to say this scene is awesome. I remember last week when we were discussing uh, between Riverside and Crazy, talking about just like the basic fundamentals of dialogue writing of characters pursuing goals at cross purposes and talking talking about some of the absolutely fantastic writing that is in Between Riverside and Crazy. For me, this scene in Pipeline shows off how great a writer is, Dominique Morisot is, just in the most basic level of characters at cross purposes, one of them trying to get something from the other, the other not wanting to give that thing up, and how that negotiation happens over pages and pages and pages. As just an example of scene writing, of character writing, uh, of goals and tactics, and pursuits and negotiations. This is just a great scene. One of my favorite scenes in the play, weirdly, in a play that's so theatrical and wonderful in so many ways. Every time I come back to that scene, I've just, it buzzes me up how great writing is in this scene. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and 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 the like authority um, that each of them assert over each other. Yeah, and there's the yeah. moments of like, when are they going to claim power and try to be aggressive and 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 assertive, and when are they going to be willing to be open and vulnerable and try to draw them in? You know, when you when you teach at the most basic level of acting, you teach those push and pull tactics and objectives, and this scene is a masterwork of that. It truly is. Okay, okay. before we, we keep going into it, I'll, I'll keep uh, just real quick summing up the play here. Um, the next scene, uh, Naya and Omari uh, have a talk. Omari comes home. He, he couldn't go through with kind of running away. He didn't want to go, get, go through with running away. And they have a confrontation about whatever the fight was at the school. This scene, we learn a little bit more about um, the, the, the altercation, whatever it was. We learn that it was with a teacher, that the teacher kind of pushed Omari into questions he didn't want to answer about about the book a uh, native son um and and uh we we learn a little bit more about about his kind of slow trying to leave the room he was resisting the teacher and we learn a lot more about his and Naya's relationship Naya tries to like coach him through like teachers are supposed to criticize you or draw things out of you and he's trying to represent well he should he shouldn't have been trying to get this out of me it was inappropriate for him to do so and we're, we're, he 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 wasn't comfortable answering the questions that were asked to yeah, him yeah he i think he felt like he was being being like very specifically um, targeted because of what Native Son is about and because he's what we assume to be one of the only young black men at this private school. Yeah, so he felt very singled out and he kind of shoved the teacher off of him after the teacher physically tried to stop him from leaving the room and that's that's where he's wound up um, uh, after after that that moment. Um, so we get a little bit more from that scene. Um, the next scene, Xavier and Naya have a talk about it. Xavier comes to Naya's workplace um, uh, to, to kind of talk this out and try to figure out what's the best way forward. They try, they eventually settle on... Uh, 
Omari coming and living with Xavier in his neighborhood and trying to get him into the school system there. There's some tension around uh, whoever um, Xavier is with right now, um, and and Anaya is hesitant to uh, kind of uh, relinquish her role as mother in that way, and in, in the way that uh, you know Omari is living with her and she's able to be his mother there. Um, but they end up deciding and kind of landing on on uh, sending or getting Omari to go to. Xavier's home and get into the school system there, all while learning a lot more about them and their relationship and and how there's some some pain still left over from their relationship, some tenderness, but that ultimately their their tie is severed in some way. Um, the next scene, there's a big incident in school. There's a fight on, on campus. Lori, um, uh, Naya's co-worker, had to physically get into the fight because Dunn didn't get there in time. There's, all, there's it's a, a pretty volatile scene between them from a volatile event. Everyone's pretty um, worked up around it. Of course, um, Naya comes into this scene pretty worked up in her own right around what every, all, all that is happening. Um, and and she ends up having a panic attack um, and, and kind of dropping out. She, it's, it's perceived as a heart attack. But she gets uh, a nurse comes in and they get her into the hospital. The next scene, Dunn and Omari are kind of waiting in the hospital um, uh, for for her for her to get some tests done. She's staying there overnight, and Xavier shows up. He's also there, um, and he gets the download that she probably had some sort of a panic attack. And uh, and he he has this. This is one of the f- like moments where uh, you you read a lot in the stage directions. His Much being is with, implied. <laughs> yeah, him, him him meeting Dunn here um, seems to be there. Seems to be either some water under the bridge or that they're meeting for the first time, and yet they know much about each other. It's a little bit you know open open there, but certainly there's some there's some uh, acknowledgement of each other's status in that moment. And then eventually Dunn leaves uh, Xavier and uh, Omari alone to kind of talk out what is uh, what is going on. Um, uh, Xavier makes the choice to use this moment to try to get out of Omari what happened in in the uh, in the school, what the, whatever the physical altercation was. And Omari uh, admits uh, the story that he told already to to his dad, and also admits that a significant portion of his pain and his um, his uh, need to not answer the questions that were being asked to him were tied up in his pain around his father and uh, and his perce- and his perception of his father as having basically abandoned him and just be paying the bills, um, a kind of in an automatic way from his bank account and and not really wanting a relationship with him. The last scene of the play um, kind of ties some of these elements together. Jasmine is writing a kind of final note or final letter to Omari and uh, kind of uh, acknowledging that though their love was short-lived, she was grateful for many aspects of it. And then we also have the scene uh, where Naya is pleading the case before the board of the school not to press charges against Omari, um, not to essentially like pursue pursue some sort of jail time for him, um, but rather to... Uh, allow her to take the blame for what happened, um, take the blame for, for how, how it all went down and get him out of that school and into another school. All the while, um, Naya and Omari are kind of talking to each other in this a little bit of an ethereal way. Um, earlier on in the play, during the scene where Omari confessed everything to Naya, she had asked him for some rules um, for their for their uh, relationship. And the play ends with Omari giving her a set of these rules, and and kind of uh, a really tender moment between them as they as it's clear that they've they've moved a step towards hearing each other better um, and and trying to develop their relationship. 
that's the broad sweeps of the play. A pretty simple like line of event, but lots of really like uh, intricate interweavings of other things that cross over this family's kind of struggle within just like a couple days. I think the play probably spans two or three days in total. Yeah, it, it it's a it's a play that spans a really intensive moment in the life of this teacher and her son, and it it. it so we don't think about plays this way. I actually I, I like the idea of thinking about plays more often in this way because I think it's helpful. But you, when we think about um, prose, right, novels, short stories, that kind of thing, we one of the most basic level questions, you know, this is high school English, right? What what? How is the story told? First person, second person, third person, limited, third person, omniscient, blah blah blah, right? This play is a third person omniscient play. We don't have any particular lens into any of the interactions, which I, to me makes the play a little bit, uh, it, it's hard for me to tell sort of whose journey we follow through these couple of days because we see private interactions between uh, Omari and Jasmine that Naya would have no sense of what's happening there. So we're not seeing the play limited through Naya's point of view. And we're not seeing it limited through Omari's point of view either, right? We see private conversations between Naya and Xavier, between Naya and the other teachers. So both Naya and Omari carry sort of the weight of having their own life and their own journey up in this play that we follow in a, in a totally sort of unlimited way. We see all of what's going on in each of these persons' lives through the whole couple of days. Yeah, in some ways, the, the relationship serves as our protagonist for the play. The relationship between Omari and Naya um, pervades almost every scene. Um, and e even the scenes where they are kind of separate from each other. Um, the scene with uh, Omari and, and Jasmine, he's talking about how he's going to be letting his mom down and kind of worry about it. In other scenes where Naya is at school or something like that, Omari is a visible presence to the audience, not a physical presence to the action of the play, but a visible presence. His voice interweaves things. He reads the, the lines of the poem, and and, and, and it, it becomes clear that even when they are part, Naya is very focused on her relationship with Omari and how to uh, apply uh, some of what she's teaching to that relationship. Oh yeah, we 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 definitely going to talk about the poem. The poem is yeah. <laughs> amazing. But st sticking with this subject for just a little longer, one of the things that's interesting to me about the way the play is structured in terms of how the journeys, especially of Naya and Amari, I don't think anybody else in the play even qualifies for consideration of protagonist or how whatever you want to call it, right? Who's whose play is this? That's one of those most basic questions, right? And nobody besides Naya and Omari Mari are even on the table for answers to right. that question. But those two characters, I think both bring a lot of interesting meat to the discussion of that question. And one of the things that's interesting to me about how the play is structured in regards to that is that as you get into that, like that two thirds mark of the play, that final chunk where the, all of the things that have been set up start to pay off in interaction after interaction after interaction, both Naya and Omari have fairly important, almost life altering moments of discussion with Xavier, 
right? I mean, uh, yeah. in in the big climactic confrontation where Omari finally sort of bursts and reveals the inner part of himself, Naya's in a hospital room off stage. Yeah, she's not there. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's in a, it's in a in an attack with Xavier that this moment comes. Right when Naya finally relinquishes control, says she's not going to stand in the way for better or worse. I'm not sure. I, I'm not. I, I think I phrased that as if that's a positive thing. I don't know that it is. But for better <laughs> or worse, when she sort of relinquishes this control to Xavier, right? Omari's off stage. In fact, they they talk much about how they don't really know where he is. Yeah. So that, I mean, to me, that is an interesting decision to make as playwright Dominique Morisot. In these, in some of the most intense decisions actually made by the characters, Naya and Omari, the other is not quite present. Yeah, there's, there's, there's definitely this sense of them missing each other um, pretty yes, frequently. That's great. Yes. Um, and and you, you you learn a lot about them in scenes apart from each other, and kind of desperately want them to connect. Um, but, but, but also there's this, there's just over and over these scenes where they can't quite connect that you, you sense the tenderness and then the scene where they, uh, fight with each other, um, it ends with Omari kind of taking away a cigarette and offering to make supper for the night. Like there's, 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 it's clear that they love each other, um, and, and are committed to each other, but they just keep not quite connecting. Um, and, and yet they spend so much time when they're away worried about each other, worried about their, worried about, cer- certainly, cer- certainly Naya is constantly worried about Omari's safety, especially in relation to his anger, but also her own, um, her own role in, 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 uh, in, in, in the kind of, um, that anger being brought through into his life. So, so there's, there's all this, this worry, I guess, uh, around bo- for, for both of them, for each other, even when they're not together. Yeah. And, and I, you mentioned earlier something that I think is really astute too, which is that even in the scenes where they're not together, the scenes are so much about their relationship with the other person. I mean, the Omari Jasmine scene, which is this kind of uh, a very funnily written, very, very poetic and lyrical sort of young teenage heady romance sort of moment in their lives. A lot of that discussion is about what Naya is going to do and the speech she's going to give Omari and how he can sort of escape and stop putting that pressure on her. I mean, so much of their lives apart are about the other person too, right? Naya teaches the class on the Gwendolyn Books poem and Omari is in this sort of liminal space reciting it and the whole teaching of it, at least in so far as the audience experience, is really about what Naya thinks, how Naya thinks this poem applies to and impacts Omari. Yeah, yeah, and then even the scene that we talked about a little bit back in the synopsis between Naya and Jasmine is all about Omari. It's all about um, their relationship to Omari and which one kind of is is uh, uh, is is uh, um, defending him in the best way possible. Um, and so 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 each of those interactions bears the weight of whoever's not in the room with them. And I I think I may I might be wrong about this. I'm trying to just puzzle through what I remember, but I think Naya and Omari are only in two scenes together where they're actually in the room having a conversation. Now, there's all of those layering scenes where they're technically on stage together, but the, the scenes where the two, you know, try to connect and talk to each other, and I think it's only that scene where he comes back from having run away, and then the scene at the end. 
And yeah. the scene where they, after he comes back running away, I, I like the way you put that, uh, is sort of about them missing each other, right? Trying to speak on the same thing. You had this fight in school and not really speaking about the same thing, right? Omari is talking about the the, the stress, the catastrophe of the racism and the, the weight of expectations in a place like that. And Naya is trying to sort of teach him about what the role of a teacher is in him. I mean, they're not having the same conversation and it's maybe yeah. in that final scene, one of the reasons that the play ends where it does is that for maybe just that brief moment, they have the same conversation. They stop missing each other for that one beat. And then Xavier as this kind of catalyst around bringing some of that out is an interesting character. A cat, like a, it's, it's not that he's an, an he's not that he's an antagonist necessarily. Um, there are things. No, I that, think I, I mean I think you'd have to call Naya and Omari each other's sort of. Yeah, uh, they have a protagonist antagonist relationship, regardless of the lens through which you say whose play this is. It, it's really it's about getting something from that other person who is simultaneously the obstacle and the goal. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. But then Xavier as this like uh by by nature of the way life played out, he is he is a center of pain for both of them. And so whenever he comes into the scenes, there's this kind of uh shaking loose that happens for for both Xavier and for Naya, and we learn just so much more about them and about, you know, especially the last scene with Omari and Xavier, we learn like some of the the, some of the truest moments of the play, I think, at least from Omari's perspective, emerge in that scene. And it's a result of this person who represents quite a bit of the pain that I feel on a regular basis is finally in the room with me. And, and he was, he's able to kind of hash out some of the, the deeper parts of that pain that he carries around all the time. Well, and, and I think it's, it's of course, no, um, no, no random event that Naya's panic attack happens immediately in the wake of Xavier coming and these things uh, coming out. Yeah, no, that's a great point too. There's certainly plenty of chaos happening in the room around um, that 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 she has her panic attack in, and in life in general as she's trying to fix the 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 problems that are arising. But I think it's something to do with knowing that she is kind of losing the physical connection or the the um yeah just the physical sense of he's in my house and I'm I'm able to be his mother and protect him that kind of leads into that 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 moment of panic for her and i think the the reinsertion of Xavier into the moment adds weight to that too. One of the things that Xavier and Naya talk about, which is a, a sort of a revelation for the audience, is again, it's again, a, a lot more is unsaid that is said about the subject, but we learn through the implications, through the sort of sidestepping side conversations that um, what we believe is Naya had an affair and that they didn't ever tell Xavier why they I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Omari, why Xavier and Naya had the divorce. And so Xavier says, look, the kid hates me because he thinks I abandoned the two of you. And so I'm the bad guy in this situation because he doesn't know the truth about you. 
And now Xavier has come and said he should come and live with me. He's going to be safer there. I can get him into a better school. He should live with me and this other woman that I'm now with. And I, all of that, what is what is Omari going to find out? She says, I'm willing to be the bad guy if that will save his life. And I, the, the weight of all that, too, I think adds to that that experience that Naya has in the next scene in the teacher's lounge. Yeah, yeah, to kind of have a, a clear way that that's going to go forward, because she pretty regularly says, "I would, I would die for you, Amari, or I would, I would do this if it meant that you would be this, or if you would be safe, or you would be." Right. Well, she's happy. quite literally trying to save his life, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, she lives in a world where the, the the risk is very high for her raising her son. That is at the in the you know in the worst case scenario, he's literally going to be killed by someone. And even in the not quite worse but still terrible situation, the name of the play, right? The school to prison pipeline. I mean, the play begins with him. Well, off. This is before the action of the play. That we begin by learning this: that he attacks a teacher, right? And the school is considering the question in in the plot of the play. What is the school going to do? They're definitely going to expel him, but are they going to press charges as well? Is the school to prison pipeline going to send her son down that pipeline to prison? All while she is in the education system and doing her best to disrupt that pipeline and and be a part of this 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 other class of kids' lives in such a way that builds them up while she's trying to build up her son's life in a different school um, that is a little, much, much less out of her control. So all of those things kind of swirl around her as the play kind of comes comes to its head and and lead into that that interaction with Xavier and and the the eventual just need to to panic. Yeah. <laughs> the, 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 yeah. And and Jackson and I we're two white dudes, you know we, we we don't we don't have access to the lived experience of these characters, and to some degree I think that's part of why the play is so amazing is that what Dominique Morisot has done it like. I'll say it like this, I think. The the plot of this play is not all that intricate. It's not really the the molten center of the play. What the molten center of the play is, is the ways in which these characters express their lived experience as a way to try to get understanding from other characters. And then, of course, by extension, the audience to grasp some understanding. That is what Marceau has done so brilliantly here is revealed uh, the lived experience, the heart of people who 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 are who are different than me, right? And there are people that are going to watch into the play that are going to feel the empathy of I have the same lived experience, and there's brilliance in that. And there's also brilliance in experiencing that's not my lived experience. And you've done such an incredible job opening up the raw, the 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 molten center, so that I can grasp. But some understanding, right? Yeah, the the difference between empathy and sympathy in that moment. This play it works in both fields and does so masterfully. Um, I, I do want to spend just a little bit of time talking about the kind of ethereal nature of some of the scenes of this play. The the kind of weaving in of reality and and not reality. The setting of this play, which I neglected to say during the synopsis, is not necessarily New York City. This is what the, the setting actually says. Not necessarily New York City, but definitely modeled after it. Could be an inner city environment where public school system is under duress. However, the 
the quick pace that the language of New York City inspired and should be maintained in any setting. I heard a really fascinating, it was a, an interview or a show or something, you know, we watch lots of stuff to try to catch up. And, and, and so somebody was, I forget who, I'm sorry, somebody was talking about how they thought that the, the right city setting for this play might be Chicago because of the Chicago connection to both Gwendolyn Brooks and Native Son. And that they oh, felt yeah. like if you're looking for breadcrumb clues, she says it's not necessarily New York City, so you can set it in lots of different cities, and that Chicago may kind of be the, the, play, the situation in which this play really molds together perfectly. Yeah, no, that's 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 a great point. Um, and then so so we have this like real world setting in some major urban city in America. But also there's another paragraph here in the setting. It says also we have undefined space. This is a place where location doesn't matter. It is sometimes an alternate reality bleeding into reality. It is sometimes just isolated reality that doesn't require a setting, only words. And and many times, uh, Omari occupies this space pretty frequently in the, in the play. Um, but there's other times too where Naya occupies that space. Um, and and the way that it interweaves with real space or or physical space, I don't know exactly um, which which term to use for the you know the schools um, uh, that 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 are the physical space of this play. Um, but the way that that it interacts with it is always really. Uh, evocative and and supplements the ongoing of the scenes in the physical space very very evocatively yeah i mean these layered scenes are where you see more so the craftsperson really at work and you see her sense of poetry and lyricism and timing and layering come out in that sort of brilliant sparkle like the the very last scene of the play i guess I guess technically the second to last scene, although I think they're the same scene. Regardless, it, it is an overlapping, this is that layering of, on the one hand, you have uh, Naya going to the school board or the principal or whoever at the private school and giving her sort of defense of her son, which is about how our society has not made room for young black men. It's about how there's there's been this sort of lack of forgiveness, how we're going to try to save his life, blah, 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 blah. I don't mean that dismissively. I just mean it goes on, right? That's that's her that's her argument that she makes the case for. On top of that is a layer of the PA system from the school and a student on the PA system reading the Gwendolyn Brooks poem "We Real Cool," and which has been all throughout the play. And I, we're definitely going to have to make time to discuss just that. And then simultaneously is Omari sort of having this narrative to his mother about what he what he wants what he hopes for, how he hopes the relationship in his life can sort of change. And all these things are in this liminal outside space, all layered and mixed together into one kind of offered moment of time and and, and space and goal and objective sort of meshing together into a, a super moment. And on top of that, there's multimedia, there's images, yes. there's there's images kind of flashing across the screen of young men in handcuffs walking to school with book bags. All of these things are culminating in this in this huge moment where so like it's just all the stops are pulled for this last scene where you have the, the liminal space, the physical space, uh, multimedia, you have sound, you have soundscape, all of it coming together to kind of land the plane on this relationship between them right at the end of the play. And, and land the plane, I think, like... In in the sense of making the case for how complex 
human relationships are. I mean, I think, of course, so much of the play is about the racism inherent in the school systems and the failures of those systems. And, and that, that is, of course, so much of what the play is about. But uh, so much of the play is also about seeing the whole person, right? I think I said that way back at the beginning. More so gives an interview about that, that human life, it, there's so much on it at any one time. And so more so presents that complex layering of pressure on the human relationship, the the the, the human soul, by presenting it all at once, right? Here's not everything, but here's some of it. Look at all these pictures of what society is doing to young black men. Look at what I as a mother have to do to defend my son. At the same time, listen to my son admit things to me he would never admit. At the same time, listen to this poem that echoes and bounces around my head and scares me all at once, right? And it offers it this sort of platter of, look at all of the complex, painful realities. How are we supposed to make something of any of this uh, into some into some clarity when it's all all amongst and buzzing at once? Mm-hmm. I love I love the, the the final scene of this. That buzz doesn't necessarily go away. Um, it continues on underneath. But but the the stage directions say Omari's words override them all, and Omari's words are the rules that he gives his mom to tr- that 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 she's asked for to try to give to, to kind of help help their relationship and help her show up better to him. So so even like even though this constant buzz is happening, this constant full court press is happening because of the systems that, that these two are in that the, the relationship overrides and it's not it doesn't dismiss the, the the buzz and all the things that are still there but the relationship is the focal point the relationship is what continues to draw them together and help them make it through much of this this constant press from the world around them and and of course it, it's it, it's it's so poignant, it's so intentional and specific that in that final moment, what is happening is Omari is presenting his vision of how to move forward, right? I mean, so so much of the conflict that has been present is about all of the things being given to and put on to Omari and how he ought to behave, how Naya expects him to behave, Xavier expects him to behave, the school system does, society does, all of this stuff. And in that final moment, what happens is he offers back his hope for what society, his mother, his family, his teacher, whatever, do, does to him, right? How, how those relationships, uh, what he expects from them rather than just what they expect of him. And it's it, the, the play, I think, has a kind of complicated ending because we don't, you know, a different version of this play might end with us learning how the school board rules. They find him guilty or they find him, you know, they're going to send him to jail. They're not gonna send him to jail. We don't know. That part of the plot does not resolve. And as I said earlier, the, the plot of this play is not especially complex because it's not the molten center. And it doesn't, the plot of the play insofar as the sort of outside world stuff that's going on doesn't even necessarily resolve. We don't, right. I mean, we don't know what's going to happen. With Amari yeah. and this school going forward, despite the fact that that's where the play started, it's not where it ends because it that extends into the future. What does happen to end this journey that we're on or to provide the conclusion of this part of the journey is that Naya and Omari, to me, it feels like the, the, the conclusion, the moment here that's so important is that they finally connect. They have that same conversation. And that conversation is what Omari expects not just what everybody expects of Omari. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, so, and 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 they connect and commit to continuing to be together despite ambiguity. Even Rule Ten that he that he gives her is not worked out yet. He says, "I don't have ten yet. I'm still working on it." And yet they they still kind of commit to each other. And and you you there's there's tons of ambiguity still around them. There's tons of still this blitz happening around them. And yet they're they're committing to work on it still to continue to work forward. So it's like I I love the way that 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 all is brought about through significant stagecraft, through significant um uh, playwriting craft. I don't know the right the right <laughs> word for that necessarily, but how it's all woven together with these liminal spaces, this ethereal space. And the 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 real space and the real relationship between them. Yeah. So so let's narrow in on one of the things that happens in this liminal space throughout the play, which is the poem. We've said over and over again. I am if you if you know me in life, if you're one of the people that uh, you know are close to me in life as an artist or a person, or you just know us through the podcast, you know that the the sort of intertextuality, using and reusing and reinterpreting poetry, story. Uh, images is just it's my jam <laughs> I mean yeah. I just love it I love adaptive work I love the inclusion of poetry and music and visual images and theater I just love it and so for me the the inclusion and the use of We Real Cool by Gwendolyn Brooks is is the highlight of the play for me I've said a lot of things are the highlight but this is the <laughs> highlight this is what I walk away from the play just brimming with excitement about is how how We Real Cool, which is an amazing poem, is incorporated into this amazing play. Yeah, yeah. The the way that it weaves its way, especially into scene four, um, is just a super poignant scene. It's super early in the play. So, you know, our receptors are, are going at full, trying to learn things about these characters. And it's the scene where uh, Naya is, is uh, teaching this poem to her classroom. And throughout it is woven uh, Omari kind of speaking through the poem itself. And and you know we have a lot of kind of uh, commentary from Naya as she is as she's speaking about it, but they she's, come she's together. Because she's teaching it, right? It's uh, yeah. the, the setting is that she she teaches at this high school, so she's teaching the poem "We Real Cool" to her classroom of students. And the way that the play is built is that the audience are the students, right? So it's just the actor teaching the audience about this poem, about how it was published, which is amazing. Yeah, yeah, the, the 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 kind of learning that we as the audience do along with the students is is compelling and also the learning that we do about about the fears of Naya start to come is 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 really the gold of this scene for me at least. She and Omar uh, I'm sorry, Omari uh come to the last line, last stanza of the play, which is the the play is a series of we statements the uh Sorry, yeah, the poem. the The poem is a series of we statements. Uh, we real cool. We left school, etc. But it lands on we die soon, and they both say it together. And that is the moment where Naya suddenly kind of says it out loud. Here's Omari say it in the ethereal space, and kind of turns to him and says, "What? Wait, what did you say?" Um, and he says it again. And that's the moment that sends her into one of the early moments where she has to kind of catch her heart rate and step out of the classroom. So we see so much about their relationship and her core fear 
for Omari about his potential death at the hands of, of, of any number of things. Um, and, and we see that kind of come to light through the use of this poem interweaving this scene. Yeah. And then it, so it, it starts there and that kind of continues throughout the play in the most stressful moments for Anaya, this poem refrain comes on, which is about a group of, of young students skipping school and it ends with we die soon. And you can sort of see the connect. I mean, an incredible poem and what she teaches about it to the classroom is incredible. The way that kind of uh, establishment white publishers have uh, reformatted the play and put in capitalization and periods in the right wheeze in the places that like sort of standard white middle class English would demand. And then independent black publishers put it the way Gwendolyn Brooks intended it. And it comes across much more to the artistic point that Gwendolyn Brooks was making. So it's right. It's uh, the story of the poem is about the racism of the system, the discrimination against a certain way of speaking. And it, the poem itself is about the sort of danger that uh, is present and, and to, to when, you're, when you're a mother and you're, you're worried about your son. And, and so the, the, the fact that the poem ends with we die soon is important because it's the thing that Nyaya cannot connect with, right? The, when it comes back in her most stressful moments, it's the other stanzas of the poem that are leading towards that final line that is that death-fear wish of hers. Not wish, death-fear imagination of hers. Yeah, yeah, the, the 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 complicating actions that lead to it are the are many of the actions of this play. Um, many of the actions of of so many of the actions that she's living through, many of the actions that Omaria is living through, but then many of the actions that the school is living through too. The scenes with Dunn and Lori um serve to show us the broader world around them that this whole system is kind of living through the complicated actions complicating actions of this poem. Um, and and just the, the 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 system around them that that is uh, that is that a lot of people are striving to work through um, is is on full display in this poem and is is brought brought to full display to the audience by the use of it weaving through that ethereal uh, other other realm or other other world besides the physical world. And it's just it's it's such a brilliant artistic decision to use the poem as the representation of her fear then for. The the rest of the play, right? It's not It's not like she's got a, a subconscious where in the liminal space she's just saying, he's going to die, he's going to die, he's going to die, I'm so scared he's going to die, right? There, that would be like the most on-the-nose obvious. And and Morisot has taken instead the artistic, metaphorical, representative route, and the poem becomes a of a, an audible uh, linguistic representation of her fear for her son that drives so much of her action. And 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 the, the reparations she tries to make to prevent that from occurring. I think that's just about all the time we have to talk about this play. There's there's plenty of more to talk about, as as we said when we were synopsizing uh, and talked about the Jasmine scene. It was like, we know we're not gonna be like probably have time to get to this scene, and it's true. We didn't get to spend too much time on some of that. There's other uh plots that weave their way in and out uh repeatedly. Lori is a really interesting character, sometimes Dunn is a really interesting character, so there's plenty more to talk about. Alas, we're out of time. However, the conversation does not have to stop here. We'd love to keep talking about this play with you. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at the username at NoScriptPodcast. We also have a Gmail, NoScriptPodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on any of those sites. If you've been in this play, if you've read it, if you've seen it, we'd love to keep talking about Pipeline with you.
Yes, absolutely. If you want to recommend this podcast to your family and friends, that'd be a huge help. Anybody you know that wants to hear about stories, that wants to learn more plays, that wants to be interested and involved and spend some time with uh, people just talking about plays at a deeper level than you'd just get to in maybe regular everyday life. This is a great place for them to come. They can find us on Podbean, where we're hosted. We're also on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. You can find us in all of those places. If they like us on Facebook, they'll see a link to the new episode appear every Monday as the episodes are released throughout the season. We, uh, we've got a long season ahead of us, as always. We are just at the very cusp of another season of great conversations about great plays. I'm excited to get into it, get into another play next week. But until then, I am Jackson Nikolai. I am Jacob Mann Christensen. Thanks for joining us for No Script the Podcast.